Welcome to another episode of Brain and Butter. It's Flora here today, and we're going to talk about the fascinating world of sleep and dreams. We will touch upon how dreaming looks like in our brain and what the factors are that influence our dream content. We'll also talk about what influences the dreams that we can recall, and uh, briefly, we will talk about lucid dreaming. Today, we are thrilled to have a special guest, Dr. Siklari a renowned sleep researcher and having her own research group at the Netherlands Institute of Neuroscience. Dr. Siklari's groundbreaking work explores the mysterious landscape of our dreams and the neural mechanisms behind them. With her expertise in neuroimaging and consciousness during sleep, she has significantly advanced our understanding of how the brain navigates between the realms of wakefulness and dreams. Dr. Sari, very welcome and thank you very much for joining us here today. Thank you for the invitation. So to jump right into it, first question would be, which brain areas are active during sleep and whether it differs in the stages that we are in during sleep? Okay, yes. So when we fall asleep, basically several changes happen in the brain. Typically, when we enter sleep for the first time, we enter a stage of sleep that is called light sleep or also non-REM sleep. I'll explain a bit later what this means. And then we progressively go into deeper sleep. Uh, The deepest is typically found in the first hours after sleep onset. And actually, this is a stage in which metabolic activity, so brain activity, is overall quite low, quite low with respect to wakefulness. And also quite simple in a way, because the neurons actually uh, fall into a rhythm. So the the cells of the brain, where they stop firing or stop talking, you could say, Mm -hmm. and then they resume firing altogether. It's like an on-off, on-off, on-off rhythm. And this is typically the state where uh, consciousness is lowest and sometimes even absent. If you wake up participants that participate in a study in the sleep stage and ask them what was going through your mind, then... They will typically say either nothing or perhaps something very vague or abstract, uh, sometimes a thought. And then after this first part of sleep, you, you typically enter a stage called REM sleep. So REM sleep comes from rapid eye movements. Why? Because in the sleep state, the eyes moved under closed eyelids, almost as if someone was looking at an animated scene. And it's also called paradoxical sleep in the French-speaking literature especially, because paradoxically, the brain looks very much awake. If you Mm -hmm. record brain activity with electrodes that you put on the scalp, the brain activity is quite fast and similar to wakefulness, although the body, for example, is functionally paralyzed. The sleep stage, actually our muscles are very quiet. The muscle activity is very quiet. We are functionally paralyzed. And this is also a stage where dreaming is typically, uh, where typically occurs. If you wake up someone in the sleep stage, in about 80 to 90%, the person will say, I was having a dream. And these are the, the typical dreams that you, you can also sometimes remember in the morning where you have, yeah, they have a, a narrative, a story-like action. They have sensory uh, experiences. And uh, if you look at the brain activity, so overall it's more active. Than in other sleep stages and similar to wakefulness. But then it, compared to wakefulness, the brain regions that become active during this stage is a bit different. So, for example, 
visual areas or sensory areas are very active, similar to wakefulness. But then there's also a high activation of what we call limbic areas, so areas involved in emotions, emotion regulations, for instance, the amygdala, a part of the brain called the anterior cingulum, very active in the stage, which <clears throat> could relate to the very often uh, emotionally uh, charged uh, dreams. And then there are also areas that are less active in wakefulness, typically the areas in the front of the brain that are involved in judging, controlling these type of functions. And this could perhaps relate to the fact that typically when we are in a dream, we don't realize that we are actually dreaming. We typically do not realize that we're in a bed sleeping, but we think we're somewhere else. We believe this. So there's clearly reduced reflective consciousness. And it has been suggested to relate to this underactivation of of some specific brain areas. I can also see the link that because the visual areas are active, the vividness of these dreams that we can recall are usually quite vivid. And I was wondering, are there other sensory areas that uh, are active during sleep? So for example, do people hear voices? Like do auditory areas are active or for example, smell? or taste, or it's mostly visual information that uh, are being rearranged and processed during your sleep? So uh, it can vary. It can, can really vary, but really the most prominent activity is seen in the visual areas during REM sleep, especially. And it's actually similar to wakefulness. If you take dream experiences, for instance, almost 100% of dream experiences are visual, just like our waking experience followed then by auditory experiences, touch experiences. And it's true that only a small percentage of dreams are occupied by taste or smell. And so it's difficult to capture these activations in laboratory settings where these dreams are actually quite rare. But conceptually, it's likely that these areas are also active in, in during uh, dreaming. And I think you also touch upon something very important when we talk about sensory modalities. It's that the consciousness that you have during dreaming or your, your experience is typically disconnected from the environment. What does that mean? It means that typically what we experience in terms of sensory modalities, etc., has nothing to do with what is going on around us at any given moment, right? Someone can be speaking next to us and we can be dreaming about something different. So there is a, what we call a sensory disconnection during sleep. And uh, we actually don't know exactly how the sensory disconnections come, comes about. We know that the brain during sleep is able to filter information, let pass through important information that is necessary to, to experience if we have to wake up or, or take action if something is happening around us. But there is a, a certain filtering of sensory information that happens. And probably there are also windows in sleep. Recent studies have shown where this happens more than in, in other periods of sleep. I also sometimes have dreams when some sensory inf uh, information, so a typical sound or a bodily sensation, kind of gets integrated into the sleep. And then I wake up and I realize my itching arm in the dream was actually because my arm was actually itching. So it's interesting how some filtering happens, but not everything gets uh, filtered out during sleep. Exactly. There appear to be windows where it's possible to integrate some sensory information into our dream content when we're dreaming. 
But I would say by and large, the majority of dreams we're having is not dependent on external sensory input. I think that's important to to realize. Yeah, that's that's clear. And uh, I'm wondering, are there any research on individual differences in the vividness that people experience in their dreams? Because that might be that some people experience super colorful and vivid dreams while others not so much. And I also wonder if there is a difference between developmental stages so do we dream more vividly or less vividly when we are in in our childhood or when we age i'm not sure if there's any uh, research on that on that topic yes so it's quite well known that people dream overall differently but similar to wakefulness where some people have a very vivid uh, visual mental imagery can conjure up images easily in their mind and uh, sometimes not as much and so just like that, I would say there are differences in individual, in the way someone uh, dreams with uh, some people, actually my own experience, having more uh, conceptual thoughts, abstract thoughts, or little uh, imagery, and others having very, very vivid dreams with a more story-like, yeah, more story-like narrative. So I think, yes, there are clearly individual differences, although I would say on the whole, characteristics of the main features they are still shared by, by by most people there are also people who actually never report dreaming that also exists so they even cannot relate to what a dream is because they have never dreamt and why could it be we don't know <laughs> we don't know if it could be a problem to forgetting very quickly because that is also a very peculiar characteristics of dreams Usually most dreams are very rapidly forgotten. It's really something quite impressive. Unless you record it when you wake up or you memorize it in any other way, you write it down. Most dreams are very rapidly forgotten. And why exactly this is so, we don't know. Perhaps it has a protective function. Because if you were really to remember everything you dream about just as your waking experiences, you could start to be confused about what happened in reality, what happened in your dream actually happens in some sleep disorders so that's when you realize how annoying it is if you have this dream reality confusion so yes so there could be some variability there as well in uh, between individuals with some having a very pronounced dream amnesia other less but still even if you studies have shown that even if you invite these people who say they never dreamt into a sleep lab and you wake them up during typical periods or where dreaming is highest in, in REM sleep then the majority will report dreams, even though the next morning perhaps they cannot remember. But still, there are some people that even in these conditions don't report dreaming, and that's, of course, very interesting for the, for the study of dreaming. Yeah, that's, uh, I didn't know. Uh, very, very interesting. And I'm wondering, because usually a REM sleep period is around 90 minutes, and can we know how many dreams we have in a period is it like 90 minutes of one coherent story let's say dreams are never really a coherent story but or we because i think also time perception is very different when when we dream and i wonder if that can be measured somehow to see those little loops that we do during our sleep yes so REM sleep typically starts after 90 minutes lasts between five minutes and half an hour each cycle. And then this cycle is indeed repeated four to five times a night. The further you go into the night, the, the closer you get to the morning hours, the longer the REM periods become. 
But it's actually a myth that dreaming only happens during REM sleep. It's true that dreaming in its most vivid form and very frequently happens in REM sleep. But there are moments in REM sleep also where you don't dream. You wake up participants. At least they report having dreamt nothing. One could always argue perhaps they forget, but there are these instances. And then the other way around, there are instances in which participants dream in non-REM sleep, particularly at the end of the night in non-REM sleep and in other sleep stages. Dreams are actually quite frequent and they can be just as vivid as in REM sleep. So over a whole night, it's difficult to say how much we actually dream. It's clearly more, way more than, than we can remember. But it's also, yes, we found some patterns of brain activity that correlate with dreaming. We could look at how often they occur during night, but it's a bit a dangerous thing to do because we don't know exactly if they're the unique markers of dreaming, if they actually reflect dreaming. So for now, it's, it's not possible really to estimate how long someone is dreaming, given that dreaming occurs outside of periods of REM sleep. But it, it's probably much more than we, we think. One also has to say here that there's still kind of a controversy in the field where some people, if I take one extreme, think that we dream all the time, but we basically only forget. And then if I take the other extreme, some people even say you never dream, but you make it up while you wake up, make up your dream. So in my opinion, <laughs> the truth is a bit in between those extremes. I think there are moments where dreams are very reduced or Consciousness is very low in sleep and other moments where it is really highly present. And what we see is that when we track down dream contents, um, we can find a relationship between, for instance, when someone reported seeing a face in a dream and then we look in the sleep and we indeed see that compared to dreams without faces, we see activation of the fusiform face area, which recognizes faces. So we can, we did find a correspondence between these contents and sleep. And I think that's a good argument to say that probably dreams happen during sleep, although it's not the ultimate proof, but it goes into this direction. Yeah, interesting. I have two thoughts about this one, is that sleep doesn't only occur in, in REM sleep periods. And I was wondering if you could, or if uh, if that has been measured, whether you can sleep in light sleep, for example, during naps. Because if naps are quite short, you might not enter the a REM sleep period, but I think based on also personal experience, but uh, also what we talked about, memory and like emotion kind of processing can already occur, I would assume during during a nap of like an hour, but I was wondering about that. And then the other extreme, like people who think that we dream all the time, what came into my mind was mind wandering, because during mind wandering, you also process memories and emotions and it's rearranging in, in the brain, so it's not dreaming and not sleeping. But I could see some parallels going on on, on that regard, and I was wondering what, what you've seen on this, what, what your opinions are. Sure, yes. So uh, regarding the first question, naps, yes, you can dream definitely during naps. You can. It's actually a good model for saying that REM sleep is not necessary for dreaming because typically you enter sleep, non-REM sleep, and you clearly have dreams even before any REM sleep period has occurred. So that absolutely can happen. And then to the second question, you're referring to mind wandering. 
what are the similarities with, with dreaming? Could that also be a model to study dreaming? And yes, I think there's definitely a continuity. Uh, when we look at wake experiences, so that if you sample them throughout the day, so waking, waking experiences have a few ca typical characteristics. One is that they're often very thought-like most of the time. We think a lot. We can have abstract thoughts. It's not necessarily related to sensory experiences. And then another thing that emerged from studies looking at this is that our waking experiences are very discontinuous. Unlike in a dream where we follow one thought or one image or one idea through continued periods of time in wakefulness, we're often distracted, right? Because we're connected to our environment. We have to pay attention to what's going on. So our experiences are less continuous in general. And then there's mind wandering, which is a bit different from the typical waking thoughts. If you sample it, I think in 20%, you can sample more the mind wandering experience where you're typically this is assessed in a laboratory setting where mind wandering means that you're not on the task that is given to you, like counting something or recognizing pictures or categorizing, but you, you wander off the task and, and that you can do when, when your task has very automatized actions that you can perform almost automatically and then your mind can start to wander. And yes, there are instances even where you can become like in a dream disconnected from your environment, from other sensory stimuli when you enter uh, really when the content of your consciousness almost nothing to do with what is going on at the moment. So that's definitely one parallel. And the other parallel is that, yeah, sometimes it can really take on sensory experiences, this mind wandering where you really imagine yourself in a, in a situation or imagine other things. And recent studies have shown that or suggest, I think, the research that there could be a continuum between mind wandering during wakefulness to the vivid dreaming during REM sleep. And this is probably influenced by the neuromodulators, so the substances that are uh, secreted in your brain and every behavioral state, so wakefulness, non-REM sleep, REM sleep has a specific profile. Like in wakefulness, we have a lot of stress modulators, noradrenaline that is very high and, and other um, modulators like this. And for instance, in REM sleep, noradrenaline goes really down and we have other neuromodulators take over. So this balance of chemicals in the brain probably influences in a given behavioral state, which type of experiences is more frequent? I think we haven't explicitly touched upon the actual functions of, of dreaming. So why do we actually dream? Because among the lay audience, it's still often thought that dreaming is a sign of your unconscious from the Freudian and Jungian theories that reflects on, on your unconscious behavior or ego. But I do feel that Nowadays, science reached a different conclusion of why we dream uh, exactly. So that would be my question. Like, what, what do we know about the, the function and what would happen if we, for example, wouldn't dream? Yeah, that's a good question. To be honest, there's no answer for now that is like typically accepted by everyone. There are several hypotheses on this. It's difficult to study also. Would have to take away dreaming, for instance, and see what happens without affecting sleep to dissociate the function of dreaming from the function of sleep or things like that. So it's it's actually a difficult question to answer. Most studies right now are more focusing on how we dream, hoping that this might give us a clue eventually on, on why we dream. But theories are, I would say, currents that say that dreaming has no function per se. So that dreaming is merely like a byproduct of uh, some activations that happen in your brain that are a process of, of sleep. And then this uh, really ranges to theories 
that think that dreaming, actually, the experience that you have during dreaming is very important to learn, actually, to learn, to imagine yourself in different scenarios, like in a virtual reality where you can face and try out different strategies to overcome problems in a safe way that uh, wouldn't like somehow harm you or anything. So yeah, the spectrum is is really wide in what the function of dreaming is. Other theories think that it's related to memory processes uh, going on in, in, in the brain. So yeah, it's still up for up for research, this question. Up for debate, yes. And I also want to debunk some, some myths about dreaming because I think there, there are plenty. One that I just looked up recently because a friend of mine told me that there was this idea that we dream or some people dream in black and white. And I was like, that sounds a bit strange. And I read a study that this was actually a methodological error why people believe that the people who dream in black and white because previously when grayscale imaging and, and videos and pictures and uh, the television was uh, black and white and people reported more black and white content sleeping because of course they were exposed to it more and their memories and experiences were also containing more black and white uh, images but they could rule out this possibility with people who are barely uh, exposed to any black and white imaging. So I think that was one fascinating myth that can be debunked. And the other one is that you cannot dream about something that you never experienced. And I would assume that this is because you process your memories and the inputs that you get during the day. So would it be possible to create something new in your dream that you've never been exposed to before? Okay. So if I answer the first question about the black and white dreaming, so you can definitely dream in color. Our dreams have the qualities usually that our waking experiences have, so we perceive them through the same sensory channels, if you want. But not all the dreams contain, contain colors. They can dreams that are much more thought-like or have just auditory features. That's for sure that not all dreams contain color, but they can definitely contain color, so I don't think there's much debate around that. And then the second question was about whether you can actually dream about something you never experienced. So it's true that the sources of our dreams often come from memory, from things we know from wakefulness, from things we experience. But it's interesting because it's never an exact replay of our experience, right? You could imagine that we replay events as they occurred. This is never the case in dreaming, apart from Sometimes very particular dreams like post-traumatic dreams, flashback during the day, but also re-experience like a traumatic scenario during dreams. Although even there, there can be some variations. But normally dreams are never a replay. So I would rephrase the statement and say, anything you can imagine, you can dream about <laughs> somehow. So yeah. it's, a product, it's a very pure form of imagination, dreaming, and you can combine elements that come from your waking life into something new, into something that you clearly have never experienced. And examples are plenty of bizarre formations or people with different identities or different appearance than their identity. And so this is actually quite a typical feature of dreams that it, it doesn't matter our waking experiences and, and our memories exactly. Yeah, that, that's clear. And uh, what are the factors that actually influence dream content? So what we what we dream about are there mostly something that we recently experienced, or is time a factor in this of uh, memories or emotions, or 
that would be my first question. Like, what what does it depend on? What we what we dream about? That's a very good question, and we don't have a clear answer regarding time. A few initial studies had suggested that you mostly incorporate events from the either the previous day or from a week before, called the dream lag effect of about six days. But then it hasn't been consistently produced this effect, and we know that you can actually incorporate memories from even much further than that. So that's, I think, still open. But it's also very difficult to track all the memories and because they are transformed in the dreams. And so it, it's very difficult for any given dream content to tell where does it actually come from, which part of your waking life, because they are so transformed. So this is difficult. And actually showing movies with emotional content or having a person doing a task for a whole day doesn't necessarily show up in, in REM sleep dream. There have been studies looking at sleep onset experiences. So when you just fall into sleep, you have often these hallucinations called hypnagogic hallucinations from the Greek hypnagogic that lead into sleep, where you actually have visual imagery. They're very quite short. They're almost like snapshots. And they often contain elements from what you've done during the day. If you went out sailing for a day, then often when you fall asleep, you can still feel the boat rocking or things like that. If you went skiing for a whole day, then you can still have the impression that you, you skied on the slope. These are experiences that actually typically incorporate activities of the same time, but dreams further down in sleep. REM sleep, typically, it's, it's difficult to track down the sources exactly and know. But it's one of the open questions. What determines dream content, actually? Yeah, I think it's, it's one of the very mysterious facts of, of dreaming that it, like we, we don't know yet. And it also brings up the question whether we can control these contents. So maybe talking about lucid dreaming where we try successfully or unsuccessfully influence the content or the happenings in our dream. And I wonder why and how a lucid dreaming occurs. Why, why are we able to sometimes control these dreaming experiences? Yeah, so lucid dreaming is a particular form of dreaming. Normally, in, in most dreams, you never realize that you're dreaming. Take everything that you experience for real. And lucid dreaming is a bit big exception because during lucid dreams, you suddenly realize that you're dreaming. That's the first step. And sometimes you can even control the content of the dream. So what lucid dreamers typically uh, describe is that they just need to think of something and it materializes in their dream. And it's usually a positive experience because... You're not worrying about things going wrong. You feel powerful because you can contain, uh, control the content of your dreams sometimes. You can decide to fly, for instance. You just want to fly and then you fly. You can meet people that you want to meet in your dream uh, and things like that. So it's a very powerful and exceptional experience. It's almost, it gives you often the impression of being like in an opposite of a nightmare where you don't have control. There you have control. And it's also a very interesting model for dream research. Why? Because a lucid dreamer also has control of eye muscles and respiration patterns and can also perform little muscle twitches with the face and in this way can communicate with an experiment. And so signal that they are lucid, they can signal that they're lucid and they can sometimes even follow commands. Very recent studies have shown that there can be a bi-directional communication between the dreamer and the experimenter during lucid dreams we, with pre-established codes of eye movements, for instance, or muscle twitches. 
And um, this, these studies have been instrumental, for instance, looking at time perception. Does time go by in a dream? So they asked lucid dreamers to do, for instance, to count in wakefulness and to count again in a lucid dream to signal with eye movements when they started counting, when they en ended counting, for instance, 10. And then saw, so, for instance, that in lucid dream, at least time perception is quite similar. It's perhaps a bit slower when you do a movement. Uh, movement takes a bit longer in lucid dream. Perhaps because you don't have the sensory feedback because you actually don't do the, the movement. But so, yeah, other studies have looked at how the eyes move during uh, lucid dreaming and things like that. So it's a, it's a valuable model, I would say, to, to study dreaming. It's not normal dreaming, though. It is an exception. So it, it gives you a window into the dreaming process, but it's, it's a different type of, of dreaming. And yes, unfortunately, it's, although it is very interesting, it's quite difficult to capture in the laboratory because dreams in the laboratory are very different and also when in proficient lucid dreamers sometimes when they come into the laboratory then it doesn't always work out that they have a lucid dream that they can signal that they can remain lucid for extended periods of time and do these tasks so studies reporting on this have yeah, have collected many many participants across different centers and in international collaborations like recently also studies have published or some another good model to study lucid dreams are people with a, a sleep disorder called narcolepsy because they spontaneously have a lot of lucid dreams. And they also, when they nap, for instance, they go directly into REM sleep and often lucid REM sleep. And so for research, this is very interesting because they're very sleepy as part of the disorder. They can enter REM sleep rapidly and they are lucid. They offer a great opportunity to, to study this. And few studies have captured really brain activity and compared lucid dreaming with no lucid dreaming. But what we can see is that the brain during lucid dreaming, and very recent study has shown that, that the brain activity is more even closer to awake state than during non-lucid dreaming. Uh, diffusely, you could argue that it's, yeah, it's closer to awake state, although you're, you're clearly not awake, you're still in a dream. But uh, probably you gain control of these areas I was talking at the beginning of the podcast that are normally deactivated during REM sleep. There are studies showing that they become reactivated during lucid REM sleep, and they allow you to gain control over the content of the dream or at least realize that you're dreaming. And it also feels like your consciousness seems to be regained in those stages of sleep because if you can actively decide to count or to dream about something, then it feels like that you are actually in control. So you have the conscious power to, to actually control your experiences. So then it's indeed way more alike to, to awakening than to... Uh, to sleep. Yeah. Exactly. So you regain a faculty that you normally have during wakefulness, and that is the control and the judgment and the reflective consciousness that you regain absolutely in lucid dreams. The definition of consciousness depends a bit how you define it, but at least reflective consciousness you regain. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I wonder, do we know who are the people who are more likely to have frequent lucid dreaming experiences? And uh, can we influence this? Because I think lucid dreaming is a very popular topic also among creative individuals and out of fun I googled how you can induce lucid dreaming and there are a lot of very interesting things about this uh, like eating certain things and drinking certain things and I was like oh, I don't know if that's uh, very valid but I, I was wondering if there's actually research on the influence factors like who can be more prone to have lucid dreams and whether we can influence this. So yes, yeah, some people just naturally have lucid dreams. Others don't naturally have it. 
but definitely the, there are several techniques you can apply to um, increase the incidence of lucid dreaming or try and, and have lucid dreams. Sometimes they're not easy to apply. It's actually quite some effort um, to go into this and you have to have a big motivation. And I think motivation really plays a big role. If you are interested in your dreams, you have a dream journal, for instance, and you really can relate to your dreams, then I think the probability that you will somehow realize that you're lucid dreaming will increase. Already knowing about lucid dreaming can, I think, <laughs> increase the, the likelihood that you have a, a lucid dream. Then there are different techniques. Uh, some of them are based on reality monitoring. It consists in doing reality checks during wakefulness where you uh, tell yourself, okay, I'm awake because you can pinch your nose, for instance, and, and check if you're, you cannot breathe anymore, things like that. And then if you do that very often during wakefulness, <clears throat> it can happen that you start doing them during dreams because our waking experience influences our dreams. And then in dreams, typically, you realize that we, when you pull on your fingers, sometimes it can extend for longer periods. Or if you breathe, try and breathe to your pinched nose, it's suddenly possible. So all these things are supposed to alert you to the fact that there's something unusual and that you might be experiencing a dream. And that's the beginning of lucidity. Still, sometimes you can experience the beginning of lucidity, but then you fall back into a non-lucid dream. The challenge is really to try and stay in the lucid dream, which is not easy. There are also devices you can buy that detect the eye movements under closed eyelids, like goggles, and that um, signal gives like a red light that you can perceive through your closed eyelids when you're in REM sleep. And if this red light somehow makes it into the dream, it's supposed to alert you to the fact that you're dreaming and then favor lucidity. There are different techniques. I don't think, to my knowledge, but perhaps I'm, I'm, I'm not totally aware of all the studies, but I don't think these methods have like systematically uh, been compared in, in large courts to see what is more effective or who has more lucid dreaming, apart from narcoleptics, as I said before, who have naturally the tendency to lucid dream. I think um, it's not, not really known. There are some pharmacological studies, although, that have been done. I have one in mind with um, cholinergic drugs that can in increase, actually, the frequency of, of lucid dreams. But, uh, yeah, there's still some research in this field. Yeah. Yeah, because I think there are some potential benefits of lucid dreaming if we talk about, for example, the reprocessing of emotions or memories. I read some studies that um, lucid dreaming helped with the uh, processing of PTSD-related memories. So in that regard, it would be good to know how to induce these stages so it's it's beneficial for, for these individuals. But I also wonder if there are Besides the benefits, disadvantages of, of lucid dreaming, are there any consequences, like negative consequences that can occur if we often lucid dream or if we lucid dream at all? Usually a lucid dream is quite rare, even if you try and really get them and it doesn't last very long. So I don't think overall on the whole sleep it will have a major effect. But this one would really have to see if you lucid dream all the time the whole night what effect does it have on your sleep? But this is actually quite difficult because most people don't lucid dream all the time. And then, yes, it can. It's obviously, it can create a safe environment to rehearse traumatic events or things like that under therapeutic, in the therapeutic setting. But for now, yeah, it's really not easy to get into the stage repeatedly. So perhaps some techniques are easier for that, like hypnosis, imagery, or also therapy or other techniques. And to wrap up, I would like to ask you, what is your current focus in your research group at the NIN? And what questions are you mainly researching at the moment? 
So yes, the big question is how does the brain create dreams? How does the brain create this real world analog without any participation of outside sensory stimuli? And so we actually use, to answer this question, we use serial awakening paradigms where we wake up participants repeatedly during the night and ask them about their very last experience before the awakening. We couple this with uh, high-density EG recordings, so recordings of brain activity over, yeah, with many, many electrodes to really capture the different spatial uh, patterns. So we try to correlate the reports of the participants with the brain activity. And now currently at the NIN, with the projects that, I'm, that we're conducting, we're trying to move a step beyond where we try and manipulate actually the markers of dreaming that we have identified using several techniques, including pharmacological intervention, giving some sensory stimuli to model brain activity at specific times to see if by modulating the brain activity, we can also modulate the dreams almost as a proof of, of concept study. Mm, very interesting. And how's this uh, success so far? I just moved my lab from Switzerland in January, so I've been really busy. We've been really busy setting up things, getting things going. But um, yeah, I hope that in, in the next few years, yeah. we'll have an answer to that. Yeah, that's, that's that's very interesting because I think that could be definitely a groundbreaking phenomenon to achieve. So thanks, we yeah. hope so. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining our podcast. I think we gained a lot of very interesting and insightful insights on the topic of dream and in comparison to wakefulness. So thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Bye. Bye.